Addressing the growing problem of poor mental health has been a key political issue for many years now, with the COVID pandemic adding a new perspective to the question. My guest on this episode works in the field and has been vocal about the need to address the causes of mental ill health, as well as better understanding what impact those causes are having on our minds and bodies. I met Dr Jen Daffin a number of years ago when we both shared a platform in a social work conference about the impact of poverty and austerity. Jen's presentation showed how mental stresses were impacted by environmental factors, like the availability of trauma-informed services, but more importantly, our exposure to things like ACEs, that's adverse childhood, but also community experiences, such as poverty, discrimination, and other traumatic events. Jen is Chair of Psychologists for Social Change Cymru and her ideas and practice involve tackling the political pressures that prevent good societal mental health. Croeso, welcome to the podcast, Jen. It's good to talk to you again. That conference was a few years ago now. Can you say what you do professionally, who you typically work with, and what work you did prior to your current role. Diolch, Leanne, thank you for having me. It's good to see you again. So I'm a clinical psychologist, and that means that I work in health settings, but there are many different applied psychologists that work in different settings. So you'll find us in education or in forensic settings and counselling psychologists too. My work typically works with within the NHS, and so we work with people that come to NHS-based mental health services. Clinical psychology traditionally focuses on the individual and it thinks about what's going on for them and it takes an introspective individual look. As the profession has grown and as the evidence base has grown, what we're learning is that our mental health is more about our minds, our bodies, our souls and our circumstances. And so there's been a growing movement to incorporate that into psychology-based practice and psychological thinking. And within the profession, we, we tend to talk about that as a move towards community psychology. So I take a community psychology view. It's like a, a social justice based movement that instead of putting the problem on the person, looks to their circumstances and the other things that are going on for them and asks what's happening to you. And it's it's important to, to frame it like that, because that's how I've arrived in the roles that I'm in now and, and the work that I, that I was doing. One of the really important things to note about taking a community psychology perspective, because I think in psychology, we've moved towards thinking about context and circumstances more anyway. We're more used to doing that more generally. The difference with going to a community perspective is pushing that across the broader layers of our ecological systems, of the systems that are around us. So not just looking at family circumstances or maybe school circumstances, we're looking to circumstances beyond that. So looking at community circumstances and policy and practice circumstances and the cultural context that we live in as well. And the difference that this brings then up is in the solutions that we seek. So often if you think of psychology, you come, you talk to somebody, you'll have your therapy based approach, or maybe you'll have some medications and it's framed in that way. When we're talking about really looking at somebody's circumstances, then then it means we need to really look at the solutions and the interventions as well. And from the perspective that I'm talking about, that means looking at collective action as well as social action to alleviate distress. So thinking not of just putting the problem back onto the person, but standing back and thinking, what's happened to this person and what were the things around them that may have contributed to this and how can we fix that? 
in looking for ways in the NHS to do that, because that's not the way a typically health systems are organised. They're organised to treat individuals. And so the individual comes, we put the treatment in place and then they move on. But when we're talking about collective action or talking about understanding our mental health as mind-body circumstances, then those solutions will only take us so far. The treatment of individuals will only alleviate so much distress. We need to be looking at the broader circumstances and contexts that people are living in. And so in my professional work, I've been seeking out different ways that you can do that. And that's how I ended up in my previous role, which was with the Child and Family Community Psychology Service in Anaya and Bevan Health Board. The psychology department there and in other places as well, but particularly there, they've been thinking about these problems for a very long time. And they have really recognized the limits of clinic-based interventions. Um, so when we only offer clinic-based support and we only ask for people to come and see us, we are excluding usually the most vulnerable, those that are experiencing the most distress because they aren't able to access the right support or be in the right circumstances themselves to get to those clinic appointments. And I, I used to work in Newport and in Newport that means anywhere you live in Newport, you've got to get one bus into town and then you've got another bus to come and see us at St. Caddick's. And that, that requires a lot. That requires to be organised, but also to have the financial resources resources to get there as well as you know if you're worried about that you've got to you've got to have a level of wellness about you to be able to do that and then if you're a child you're probably dependent on the adults around you to help you do that and what we were finding what the service was finding that we weren't seeing the people that needed the help the most we were only seeing those that were able to to access the a clinic-based model and so we were looking for other solutions and I was part of one of the teams that was looking to do that and in child family community psychology, one of the ideas we were testing and, and exploring was moving to work alongside people in their existing relationships. So we were partnering with other public services. So in Wales, that's our families first services, but social work services, and education, but also the police and housing. And in those more early and preventative provisions that get to spend a lot more time than we do as well. So it's not six to eight sessions. There you go back into the, the circumstances that you came from. They often get to spend longer with people. And so we were looking at coming alongside people and helping those, those workers that had already spent a lot of time building relationships to hold on rather than referring on, losing the relationships they had and then having to rebuild that. Because if you're in distress, that's really hard to build a relationship. If you've had lots of trust issues, people have let you down time and time again, that's a really hard investment. And, and trust is usually one of the core things that's getting in the way of good mental health. So so currently, I've just taken up a role with Platform, which I'm really excited about, Platform's Trauma-Informed Practice Lead, <laughs> which is a big venture in itself and a never-done venture. So Platform is a mental health charity for mental health and social change, and they're looking to change the narrative of mental health. So the old story of mental health is one that's about a medical problem, that mental health is a disease or it's an illness, and that therefore we we need a medication or we need a treatment to fix what is wrong with us from a disease-based approach. We've, we've been researching things for decades. Lots of money has been spent on trying to find the solutions and the original causes to mental health from that model, and we haven't been able to substantiate that. We haven't found the specific genes for schizophrenia, personality disorder, anxiety, depression, haven't found any of them. There are also no blood tests, no biomarkers, and the chemical imbalance theory that came to supplant some of that doesn't hold up to scrutiny. 
And so when we think about those things, when we look at the diagnostic categories that we use today to understand our mental health, what we're finding is there is no construct validity to those. They're not based on science and science can't hold them up to scrutiny. Uh, It's a big problem. (laughs) It's a big problem because that means that we're not looking in the right places and we're not understanding the story fully. And that means we need a a new story of mental health. And you may be familiar with ACEs research, um, so adverse childhood experiences. So the more toxic stress you have in childhood, the more likely you are to grow up to have diabetes, cancer, heart disease and mental health problems, to use substances and have a difficult relationship with alcohol. It's not a coincidence that that occurs like that. That occurs like that because in our childhoods, that exposure to toxic distress is harmful to us. And it's this story that's the new story of mental health that we need to more fully understand and spend much more time organizing our thinking around and then our solutions around. And what we're talking to there is experiences of adversity and trauma at the individual level, so developmentally, but then at all the other different places that intersects in our lives across our lifespan. And and we can accumulate that across the lifespan as well. The growing movement is is to talk about these things as being trauma informed, but also in it's recognizing the social determinants of mental illness, determinants of distress, if, if you know, if we're going to move our language to fit with the what the evidence base is showing us. And it's the complex mix of how the social determinants interact across our lives that may overload or load on our systems and expose us to chronic toxic stress. And that's the story that Platform is wanting to create more space for and wanting the public to be more aware of as well, as well as influencing then how our politics then creates policy to, to manage and support individuals. How do we then eradicate adversity and trauma from society as a public mental health intervention? So that's groundbreaking stuff, really. It's a big change in the way that we look at and treat the problem of societal mental health. It is. It's a massive shift. It's a challenging shift, I think, because we've invested a lot in the old story and our identities and our experiences get organized in that way. And so for some people, it can be really scary. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that. Like we have built careers, but we have also designed interventions and we have told people that this is what's wrong with them. And so I think it's a movement that really needs to tap into its compassion, compassion for self and compassion for others as it evolves and and develops and we figure out how do we be this trauma-informed society with this new narrative and understanding. Not everyone is at the same risk of developing chronic mental health problems. You've touched on some of the reasons why. Can you explain why some people are more likely to struggle than others? So if we take the view that mental health, that our, that our emotional health and our mental health is actually rooted in adversity and trauma-based experiences, if we look at underneath what does that mean, that means that we're more exposed to toxic distress and that that's one of the the mechanisms that's leading to poor mental health and that that's about how our bodies are able to cope with that distress so that's about our emotional regulation if we think about mental health as it's about our mind our bodies our souls and our circumstances that there's this breadth of stuff happening and some of us are more exposed to that than others And this is relevant for us now in our lives that we're born into now, but it's not just loaded on us now, it's historically loaded on us as well. So we call that transgenerational trauma and the passing down of that too. So it's not that genes pass these things down. Alterations in our biology and the edges of our genes, we call that epigenetics, 
can get passed on to generations. Um, so, for example, my grandmother's grandmother's life may get passed on to me and I may then experience some of the effects of that. And so when we look at that, when we're looking at who and what, we have to take these things into account and we have to think about the circumstances that people are born into, because it's those circumstances that tell us the story about who, who is more likely then to be born into circumstances that are not going to be set up for good mental health. Who are the people then that are living in the environments, in in the societies, in the communities that are flooded with these traumatic experiences and these um, toxic stress experiences? Those are the people that are more likely to experience poor mental health. And it's the loading of that over their lifetimes. It's not like the the well-meaning one in four mental health mantra, which suggests that it's a random distribution that's according to like our fate of our personal resilience and the fate of our biology. It's it's just not true. What we're seeing is our mental health is is more accurately predicted by our circumstances. And so, so for example, the bottom 20% of earners of the population are nine times more likely to receive a diagnosis of psychosis compared to the top. And that's not because of genes. There are no genes. It's not because of faulty biology. It's because of what they're being exposed to. And then the, the sad story really is that the systems around us continue to add to that. They continue to, to load onto our system. So then how we arrive at the education system cannot always be in a helpful way. Those children that experience the most distress and present with the most distress are the ones most likely to be excluded. And Samaritan's Cymru has just done some really great work on showing the correlations to that and later life suicide. So there are real reasons why people struggle and it's not because of them. It's because of what we're exposing them to. It makes it so much more difficult to address. It's such a a bigger problem than dealing with the individual, isn't it? So how can we help people who have been traumatised in this way? Can you explain what is meant by trauma-informed practice? Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's complex, isn't it? Like most of our our big big world problems. But I think the first thing is to to acknowledge it as that, and not to pretend that it's an individual problem. Oh, I'm putting it then on the individual to solve because you know we can't think our way out of these situations. Children in particular cannot think their way out of their situations. They're dependent on the adults around them. They're dependent on the circumstances. So I think acknowledging that is is the first thing because then at least we can look in the right direction for the solutions and not be misguided by individual based solutions that will only take us so far. I think we need a new narrative, but we're going to need a new public mental health narrative. So the things we're talking about need to be out there. There's lots of great stuff happening in Wales around that. Uh, education system is moving towards becoming trauma-informed schools, and that's really great to see because then we're starting to see these, this way of thinking permeate into the, the general consciousness, into you know everyday thinking and into everyday environments, not just the environments of the hospitals, you know, where we send people when it's too late. We're getting these ideas out there. And for me, there's real hope in that, because if it's not about something that's wrong with you, it's something about what's happened to you, then we can fix that. We can look to, to finding solutions to that. And it doesn't have to be big grand solutions. I think often these, these things are small. They're about creating the right circumstances for ourselves and understanding what that is at a local level and really thinking about how do we do that for ourselves within our own families but then also within our own communities not just then waiting for big policy changes to happen as well I think it's a twofold thing 
So when we understand that our mental health is actually about being exposed to adversity and trauma, then we need to start thinking of our mental health as about relationships. And it's about all the different kinds of relationships that we have in our lives. And so then when we're thinking about how can we help individuals, how can we help children, but also how can we help their parents and, and adults as well, we need to be thinking about what are good relationships, what gives us relational health, because that's what's going to give us emotional health. So for emotional health, we need to have good regulation. So we need to have emotional regulation. We need to have the skills that are going to allow us to do that. And they start right from the go. So when we're born, we start learning quickly how to relate to other people, how to relate to our primary caregiver. And they start to pass on to us all the basics that we need to know about relating to others and and teach us how to be in tune and make sense of our emotions. And we call that sometimes attachment, or we can call that secure base. So how do our Parental figures create secure base for us. That's helping us to go out into the world, to know that it's not too scary, but also to welcome us back in when things do get scary. That's the blueprint for understanding relationships. We don't stop doing that as children. We carry that with us throughout our lives. So I think it's really important for us to understand that and to have a greater knowledge of that just generally in the public, because if we can learn to recognize our own patterns, what did we get of that? What did we not get of that? Then we can start to help ourselves and start to help our own mental health and, and our own emotional regulation. Because it's the internalization of that as we learn it that helps us then do that for ourselves. So when we're young, we rely on a caregiver to soothe us, to, to help us get over big emotions and big worries. Once they've shown us that, we internalize that. So if we haven't had that, that's the thing we need to be working with children particularly but with adults as well to help them to help them understand how to recreate that but it's important for us as well because we exist in relationships we don't exist on our own and so it's important for us all of our as individuals not just mental health professional workers or public health workers it's important for all of us because then we can learn how we can be in better relationship with others but also in better relationship with ourselves so in summary <laughs> if we create a world that's based on really good understanding of what emotional health is based on understanding what good relationships are that is when we're going to start to be able to help people and creating environments that just do that naturally will help everybody how does political change fit into all of this and what does a good political outlook look like to you so if we're going to become relationally informed and trauma-informed, then we're going to need to be creating what we call, it's not a very helpful word, psychosocially healthy environments. <laughs> healthy environments. And healthy environments need to be based on agency, security, connection, meaning and trust. And that's to ourselves. We need to have agency, security, connection, meaning and trust for ourselves, but in our families and family relationships and then with all the other relationships that we have around us so that's with our friends and our neighbors and our communities but also within school settings work settings we need that within government and local government and policy and practice and culture and we need that to be now and we need to be thinking about that for the future generations as well what, what would good look like to me is if politics could embrace that as well and if politics could become more relationally informed and work in a trauma-informed and relationally informed way and if, if we could do that just in the way that we think about how we relate to each other that we can thrive but also those around us can thrive and then if we can embed that into our policy and practice as well, as well as the way the system is organized. We have an us versus them system, which is causing polarization, which is causing shame and division and disconnection. The opposite of, of trauma is connection. The opposite of shame is connection. And so if we 
to build a system that isn't shaming, that isn't creating those experiences, that I think would be a better world for everybody and a better world for politics to kind of evolve from and be developed from. The opposite of agency, security, connection, meaning, and trust, so the opposite of, of healthy circumstances is trauma-inducing circumstances, which are based on shame, humiliation, isolation, loneliness, fear, feeling trapped, and powerlessness. And I think our public services are still often fear and shame-based. We look at the way welfare is done and we look at the way benefits is done and we look at the way housing is done, but also in education, we still use punitive practice in education as well to get children ready to learn. If we're gonna look to build better circumstances, we need to be moving away from shame-based command and control approaches. And we need to be doing that at all the different levels. That's not just for trauma healing as an individual, that's across all the different layers, which means politics too. In some senses, we seem so far away from a trust-based politics, but keeping hold of hope is important for so many reasons. Do you have hope that we can create a different, better political environment here in Wales? Hope is paramount for good mental health. And I do currently have hope in Wales. I look to other places at the moment and and I do hold hope for for where we are at at the minute and and where I feel we could go in Wales. We've already seen a move towards a well-being focus, so away from just focusing on the economy. And I think that's a really important step. That is where we're going to be able to embed these ideas. We can't create psychosocially healthy environments if we're not putting well-being at the front of, of what we do. And, and we can see that in the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which is enshrined as social determinants. I'd really love to see when we talk about the social determinants of health, that we're not separating mental health from that. Mental health is part of that. And so we need to be talking about mental illness and mental health when we talk about social determinants of health. And we're already seeing this this move towards collaboration and and co-production. I mean, we have devolved power. And I think that is really important in terms of being close to people and closer to issues. These are complex issues. They are not easy to solve. And for complexity, we, we need emergent solutions. And the operating principle of, of that, of, of working with complexity, is relationships. And relationships are unique to place. And so the closer we can be to place and the closer we can be alongside those relationships, the more likely we're going to find or, or be able to pull together enough of the right perspectives to do that. I think in Wales, because of devolution, we're in a better position to be able to do that. And I'd love to see the further devolution of that. Centralizing things creates power over, and we need to be able to do with the solution to mental health is to be with, is to be in relationship to, and be alongside. We can't do that if we're commanding over people. So I'd really love the NHS to be more devolved as well. I think that could really help make space for some of the solutions that we need. It'll eradicate things like bullying. Bullying is a big problem across public sector, but also workforces generally. Lots of surveys coming up saying that that's an issue if we're gonna have a trauma-informed Wales we're gonna need to be looking to how do we move away from those ideas and how do we embed well-being focused well-being informed approaches and I think you know there's good grounds to be able to do that here I definitely think there's scope for decentralization to improve our lives here in Wales definitely What would you advise people to do if they want to help make the political changes to bring about the improvements in our collective mental health that we know that we can have? So politics, like mental health, is about relationships, right? (laughs) It's all about relationships. And so 
understanding some of the ideas we've briefly spoken to today, I think is a really good step. And then thinking about how can I apply these to my individual situation? What does that mean for where I am and the, the work that I do or the way I live my life or the community that I'm in? I think that's really important. But if we think about politics as relationships and we think about the things we've just discussed, then it needs to start with the self. So we can't have compassion for others if we don't hold compassion for ourselves. Being, like I said earlier, traumatic experience can do to us is disconnect us from ourselves, disconnect us from our communities, disconnect us from our friends and and everything around us. And if we can understand that and understand that it's about reconnecting to ourselves and being able to then hold a kind relationship, a compassionate-filled relationship with ourselves then we will arrive at whatever situation, whatever the debate is, whatever the thing is to discuss, if we can arrive in that connected, self-compassionate focused way, we will make different decisions than if we don't. And I think that is that is the key thing I think that we all need to get better at. And we'll, we will all benefit from having that better relationship with ourselves when we engage. It's not for somebody else to do. It's not like you need to do this and you need to go and do that. And if only you did that, it's, it's about starting with self. And we say shame dies when stories are told in safe places. So if we're able to have and create that sense of safety within ourselves, then we're able to create that secure base scaffolding I was talking about earlier for others as well, as well as ourselves. And I think that will change the way we have the conversation. You've given us a huge amount of food for thought there, Jen. Thank you for having me. I'd like to say Diolch to those who have helped me with this project. Diolch to the team at Audacity, the open source audio editing software used to make this podcast. Diolch to Nick James for the artwork. Diolch to Llewyn Stefan, the creator of the music. And finally, Diolch to all the podcast supporting subscribers. I'm grateful to all of you. I'm looking for support to continue to make these podcasts. You can become a supporting subscriber by checking out my Patreon page. You have been listening to the Leanne Wood Podcast.